0: You're listening to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lieberton. This week on the show, my talk with A.N. Mokerjee of the Boston folk group Darlingside. Growing up in an Indian family from Kansas City, he talked about his unexpected climb from an unsure classical playing kid to the height of the current folk music circuit and how the lush, soaring harmonies in Darlingside are constructed not just by intricate vocal layering, but with a bone-deep selflessness and appreciation of sonic beauty. Guys, this all happens around one mic, and it has to be witnessed to be believed. Imagine the purity of an ancient church choir and the winking wit of your favorite rock band wearing flannel on a summer day, and you have Darlingside. But enough from me, let's hear what he had to say. Will you introduce yourself in the band?
1: Yeah, my name is Oyan Mukherjee, and I'm part of the band Darlingside. We're based out of Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here in Vancouver Island and to be with you, Zach.
0: Vancouver Island, which is not Vancouver.
1: No, you can get flack for that if you say that out loud.
0: And both of our bands are on this festival, and how many of you guys are there in Darlingside?
1: How many of you guys? How many many, of you guys are there? Uh, there
0: English is my first language.
1: Four of us. Quattro.
0: Can you state their names for the record?
1: Yeah, so on cello uh, and guitar, hailing from Chicago, Illinois, is Harris Passeltiner. Harris Andrew Passeltiner. I'm going to see if I can get the middle names too. Uh, from Lakeville, Connecticut, on banjo and guitar is Donald Lewis Mitchell. And from uh, Bedford, New York, on kick drum and bass and guitar is David Culver-Semft, and I'm from Kansas City. My name's Oyan Mukherjee, and I play mandolin and violin. Did you
0: grow up thinking you'd be rambling around the world playing music?
1: Absolutely not. I didn't listen to any music that I wanted to listen to growing up. Um, I was made to play violin at a very early age by my mother, who is an enterprising and aggressive woman, and she uh, was convinced that I was not going to get into college unless I had something outside of academics going for me. And I wasn't very good at sports, so violin was. I was given a choice between violin and piano. So I, I listened to my Suzuki tapes every night going to bed. There um, were Suzuki tapes. Oh, that's that's the whole thing. So Suzuki is all about ear training. So it's like you you like the, the it's sort of a um, it's not far from something out of Aldous Huxley's like any any of Aldous Huxley's works where you are you go to bed listening to just like the same song on repeat uh, every night, and that'll like you'll do one song at a time for like a couple weeks. Uh, and so you are like hearing it every night as you go to bed and then, uh, you eventually like get it in your fingers and it's, it's, but it's basically like you develop ear training that way or that, that is the way they, they do ear training. Uh, and only like a few years in, do you actually start learning, um, to read music. But, uh, but that's what I, I played
0: Suzuki violin for like eight years. Really? I don't ever remember having a tape. Really? Maybe that's why I was, <laughs> that is, yeah, that's so weird to me. That's I've incredible. Li- because we like, did that. That's such a huge we have the, the sheet music and the books, whatever. Yeah. And I had a teacher, but I never I don't ever remember there being a tape like when I went to bed.
1: Are there other parts of your childhood that are like just blacked out completely <laughs> that you don't remember? <laughs> like, it was so painful because I was parent, so bad. So all children are bad. All children are bad at the violin until you like unless you put some time into it. But the process of putting time in, especially if a parent has to be present, is painful. It's like it's so bad.
0: So your folks are first generation
1: yes although first generation means different things there's that that word actually can either mean they're the first generation to move here or the first generation to be born here um, they they are, they they oh, yeah uh, that's true but uh, th- that's that's the fault of the English language not yours I think but they, they immigrated from India yeah. and I am the first generation uh, part of the first generation that was born here
0: so uh, extra life was your uh, the album that came out this year mm-hmm and uh a lot of very interesting sort of poetic, cinematic musical tapestries being woven Thanks, throughout man. that record. Um I have a, a couple questions about the uh couple like interlude songs. Because yeah. there's songs like um Rita Hayworth, which are, you know, fifty one seconds long. Yeah. And it kind of leaves you guessing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, can you read me the names that are listed in that song,
1: uh, yeah. So it'd be uh, Coco Chanel, Rita Hayworth, Mae West, Elizabeth Taylor, and uh, so the story behind that song is it started out uh, as a full length tune, and um, we worked it a bunch. Uh, one of the first things we landed on was the chorus, which is the 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 sort of incantation of those four um, of those four women. And, uh, it felt really good to sing and we were just having trouble figuring out exactly what to match up with it or what to, what to, like how to,
0: where did those women come from, you know, as, yeah. as a connected tissue?
1: Um, so I was looking into sort of, uh, this, this is one, that, so our writing process involves every, like everyone, all four of us write and we, um, Early on when we started writing together, I apologize for taking a detour off the question, but early on when we started writing together, it was sort of everyone would write, like people would bring in mostly finished songs and the rest of us would sort of fill it out. But as we've grown and evolved as a group, uh, it's changed more to now where everyone is in on the ground floor. So that can mean that everyone is working on something together. More often, though, we have like one steward. So like someone might have a tune and they're stewarding that. Once they get it in a place they're excited about, they might... Uh, bring it to the, the group and talk about lyrics or they might hand it off to someone else hmm. to to work on lyrics and so this was one of those cases wherein uh, Harris our had had and maybe Dave had come up with the tune in chord progression and then they handed it off to me and I was working on a lyric draft and um, yeah like there was something that uh, struck me about the the, the melody that maybe me want to sort of talk about icons from the past and uh so like was just sort of researching um and, and it worked out that like the, the way that those four women's names s- sung worked out really well and, and they're not they're all sort of iconic in a, in a time before uh I mean I guess all, strong women strong women who uh, and this was uh before I think of sort of celebrity and and like and icons now as being in a very different place where you know there's Twitter and there's Instagram and there are emails that are dug up and there's also there, there's a there's a fallibility there whereas these uh, women were in uh, at least as far as I, I, like standing from this from, from this decade um, they're from uh, a time before like there were certainly tabloids and all sorts of other stuff happening but it wasn't quite as public there was yeah. still there, there remained a sort of starstruck mm. uh, uh, mythos mythos exactly about them and uh, but coming up with what we wanted to say around that was tricky. I think there were, there were drafts where it was sort of like coming at it from uh, the, the perspective of someone who was aspiring to that, uh, was something we were playing with from, uh, you know, th- that was ungendered or that was gendered in one direction or another, and it didn't feel quite right. Uh, and then as we uh, continued working with it and the election happened and all sorts of other things, um, the uh, there was a well, weird but sort of, um, intriguing dichotomy was was in in words that came out of uh, you know President Trump's mouth along the lines of uh, no one respects women more than I do, which is sort <laughs> of uh, incredible that he that he can say that struck us. Uh, so it, we we didn't we tried not to make it too explicit that, that that was the sort of some of the source material there, but like the 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 desire that that man has as far as what he wants to be and like there's there's a part of me that feels a, a little bit of a pity for for him and folks like him where. The, the, the greatest thing is, is attention and love. And no matter what he does, he seems to be unable to get it from the people he wants. And the, someone, something that sort of, in, in, in a mind like that, uh, the sort of stardom that, that might typify that desire felt similar to the, the incantation of those four women. And so crushing those two worlds together and seeing what came up was kind of a fun exercise.
0: Coco Chanel, Rita Hayworth, May did you want to be
1: famous when you were a kid? It was like a it was a secret desire that I had, uh, but it was among many others. I wanted to be good at sports. I wanted to be at no point did I want to like play violin or like but like the idea of like um, I think I, I saw some teen movie wherein some kid was busting out singing and playing a guitar and I was like, that would be great. but none of these were grounded in any kind of reality. It was more that like any kind of notoriety. Would have been something that was nice to have because I felt, uh, you know, like nameless the way that most children feel, and I think that's 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 the thing that happened. Yeah, so so like there there was an element of that that uh, that I felt as a kid.
0: The other interlude song, um, "Rabbit and the Pointed Gun," is only one minute eighteen seconds, mm-hmm. and it kind of ends with this kind of stormy, dark image of walking home when the storm is done. <laughs>
1: Done.
0: And then it and it ends after only a minute and a half, which is like, it made me want to complete the rest of the song in my mind,
1: right? Mm-hmm. You should. You and, should feel free to do that. That'd be great.
0: <laughs> do you love ambiguous storytelling more than uh, anything else? Or is it something that you feel like some people might be ambiguous, other people, it might be totally clear?
1: Yeah, I think as a writer and in this band, I think that the more ambiguous sort of leaving leaving some ends untied, uh, that is something that I really like doing with the guys, the other three guys in in the band. And that's on the production end, but on the receiving end of art in general, I'm into pretty much everything. I think there there was a songwriter uh we were playing with earlier today on our stage, Campbell. Do you remember his
0: Campbell Woods?
1: Campbell Woods, yeah, who had like super straight up just yeah. like s- s- telling a story. I told him that I was like Yeah
0: I appreciate, like, nuanced singing with incredibly direct lyrics. Yeah,
1: I was, like, hanging on his every word, because it was just, like, so present. He was just, it was, like, hearing a dude tell a story in a bar, and that was, had a massive, like, yeah, that that hit me just right. And I think in the right place at the right time, that can work really well, and at the right place, and and, and other times, the more ambiguous thing can can feel right. Um, And... I think as a four-headed beast that, that my band is, it feels authentic to us to, to be creating things that have sort of little bits of resonance, but when taken as a whole can mean a lot of different things to different people. Uh, because for, for the four of us, like any song that we're writing, like the way I was just talking about, the uh, Rita Hayworth, for instance, the other guys might not even invoke, uh, like the, the, the president in that, uh, in that, um, that a lot of that was stuff that I brought in, but, uh, within the lyrics it, it means it can mean very different things to them uh, so so like e- e- talking to any one of us about our music is going to have um a uh yeah you're going to get four, di- four different answers sometimes four very different answers
0: yeah and you guys do something that is pretty difficult to do and pretty rare um in that you sing pretty much all together all for you almost every song right yeah and it's not always can four-part harmony, sometimes it's it's this very um, pure unison that I think is actually almost more difficult, the blend of four voices that can be one voice, Thanks, which I think is a transcendent thing that you guys are able to pull off. And I'm curious how you guys started to assemble the harmonic structures of your songs. Is it something where it's obvious that you're going to sing you know the third and someone the fifth or is it someone switching off depending on the song
1: yeah so it's a lot of switching off i think we have slightly different ranges like uh but but none of us is like a true bass or a true counter tenor or anything like that like there's 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 sort of from baritone up to tenor we we is covers uh everything that we've we've got to offer but um our timbres are very different and it's sort of similar to the way we approach instrumentals in that there's, um, at no point am I going to come on and be like, all right, I am only playing violin for this song. That's what's happening. Or like, I'm only singing the high part here. Uh, we'll try violin. We'll try the same line on electric guitar. We'll try it on mandolin. We'll try it on cello and see what feels good. And similarly, like our voices, like my, uh, if i'm if i'm like on on a melody for instance dave's voice sounds very different from harris's voice which sounds very different from don's voice and the same thing can be said up in the higher registers although it'll like often invert so someone who might have a super uh, like who might be be able to hit stuff really well in a certain range when you move up gets to be a much more airy sort of ethereal thing whereas someone might have a big trumpet up top up top in their falsetto and lower down uh, might be, I mean, like might be close to their break, which will add add some some different complexity. So, we play with like pretty much th- like throw everything against a wall when we're arranging, uh, and and see what works. And and that, that's a long slow process, but one that we find rewarding for sure.
0: So, how long did the new album? sort of gestate for before it was completed.
1: Yeah, so we are not great at writing on the road, uh, but we were um, made to do so by our lovely manager because we needed to get the songs done and put out more music, uh, which was a reasonable request on his part. So um, from the point that we were actually working on it, it was probably like nine months, a year, where we're sort of sitting down and saying we need to write these songs uh, before we got into into the studio. And in studio it was another six, seven months, I think, something like that, so... uh, uh you know getting close to two years. However, uh some of the songs on that album were like the, the seeds of those songs were born in like the late aughts. So mm. some of them are like a decade old, like the, wow. the 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 tune the melody at least, and they were like sort of brought back and and uh reenvisioned and, and put forward. And you
0: pretty much routinely do four you around one mic.
1: Yeah that's the way right? we perform live.
0: And that has its challenges especially in Festival environments yeah, certainly. and places that are a little chatty or cacophonous, etc. Yeah. Um, I'm curious also, you know, what is the thing that you guys do to stay centered and unified when something's going wrong? But with you guys, it's a very intricate blend that has to happen. So if one person's a little pissed off and in their own world, the whole machine could fall apart. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think we do individually do um, a lot of work, or have put a lot of thought into avoiding any of that ire being directed towards any of the other members. And that—that's a lot of. I mean, just like band psychology is something that I could talk about for hours. As I'm <laughs> sure, as I'm sure you could too, and perhaps twice as long as I could, given that you have an eight-piece that you <laughs> wrangle and work <sighs> with, which is insane to me uh, and beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, so for the four of us. You know, the biggest thing in terms of being able to, to sort of stay in a good place is just being in a good place with the people around you. And in order to do that, I think you need to be able to convey what you need on the road, which is a lot of just like what you like, how much space you need, how much you want to be talking, how much you don't want to be talking. And in order to do that, step further back, you need to be able to know that yourself. Just like get in there and like be comfortable in your head, which for us has been like a years long process for sure to sort of figure out what each of us need, being able to convey that to each other, and then being able to respect that universally. So typically when we're taking the stage, we aren't pissed at each other. That's that's the thing that I can generally say, and that's not a result of luck. That's just, that's something that we focus on immensely. And that also goes, like, something else that, that plays into that is, uh, like, tour hygiene in terms of how, like, how much we want to be on the road, how many days off we want to have. Is everyone like, freshly washed? Fre- uh, freshly washed? No, no, but that's part of it. If you need a shower, you take the shower. If you don't want to take a shower, no one's going to give you shit about it. You guys <laughs>
0: share <laughs> rooms on the road? Oh,
1: definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to. We share beds sometimes, but that's, uh, we're not, we're not above any of that.
0: A lot of, like, snuggling right before a show?
1: Um, not as much snuggling, no. Mm. Um, we we haven't been, uh, yeah, we tend not to be as, as touchy-feely, uh, but I think that keeps us happy. Like, a little bit of distance can go a long <laughs> way uh, in, a, in a non-sexual marital relationship. Uh, but going back to your initial question, in general, saying that we're not pissed at each other, it's more that, like, uh, uh, the, the biggest sort of cause of ire or discomfort on stage is going to more be a sound situation right. that's problematic. Um, And yeah, I think with that, a lot of it is just all of us at different points have come off stage and been like, man, that was the worst show I've ever done. I'm so sorry. And everyone else will be like, that wasn't bad at all, which like you were fine. Just like, and I think the realization that a lot of when you feel really bad on stage is just, you're getting into a vortex of self-loathing that is not necessarily connected to reality and not necessarily doing anything for anyone, especially not like you're just getting in your head and and, and it's very easy to do that while performing.
0: Do you guys... Let me ask you directly do you ever meditate
1: yeah so like my i, I started meditating uh like regularly about six months ago and that's mm. been huge for me but I, I think like yeah being able to control your head whatever that means for some people it's meditation for some people it's sort of physical activity before a show um but in general i think just the awareness that you have three other guys on stage for me three other guys that i can count on uh that if i like screw up they're not going to care that much the audience generally can't tell so it's like I just got to let it go and being able to let it go when a screw up happens or when, when something is going wrong. Yeah. Uh, right now, Zach, you're wearing a hat that says let go for dear life. And that, that is a, yeah, I think that's a big part of, uh, of psychol like of, of stage psychology that has been, um, working for me. And I think the other guys too, is just realizing that none of it is that big of a deal. We're playing music. We're having a good time. And, uh, if, if, if something is going slightly wrong, you just like smile your way through it, and at most it's going to be an hour-long show. It, there, there are a lot of ways in which it's, it, like, they're, 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 it's important to contextualize what we are doing, which is singing songs for people on stages who are happy to, to be hanging out.
0: I had a question written here, I'm not sure why, but let's just go with it. If an alien creature were mm-hmm. to come down to the Vancouver Island Music Festival right yeah. now, and they came into the room and they were like, look, we're only here for like a day. Mm-hmm. Uh what should we eat?
1: Yeah. Uh that's a that's a great question to have <laughs> sitting there. Um, <laughs> like
0: like what well, like if an alien creature came down but you could have them eat anything. Yeah, like I mean in I, would ask, America, I like, would
1: ask them about what their their habits are. Like what they, you know, they, I'm sure they have some weird dietary preferences. Uh so yeah, I think um, we would. As the band was recently talking. So we, you know, the the, the, the um, our writing process has taught us that we don't agree on much. There's a lot of stuff that we disagree about. But when we can find bits of things that we really enjoy as a group or really dislike as a group, there's something beautiful about that. In that there's a there's a point of agreement that we can sort of work the out. The breakfast
0: from. sandwich in Bellingham apparently. Uh, seems the breakfast sandwich like in, uh, it, in Seattle. Oh, in yes. Seattle. Okay.
1: Uh, so it's a uh, um, it's a company named called Morsel. How did you? Was it Twitter? Or Instagram. Instagram. Way to go, man! On top of it, you just winked at me too. That was cute. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a company called Morsel in in uh, Seattle that does a uh, biscuits that are really wonderful. It's also like a, a good hip coffee shop that is has all the trappings of like sort of the the really nice coffee, but without um, the uh, Pretension? the pretension and uh yeah hipster antipathy which the is assholery. really nice right which which it sometimes like you know i can get into i i like being mistreated occasionally but but this one has the biscuits that are just right uh the breakfast sandwich is one called the spanish fly so it's got prosciutto uh a an over medium egg that is slightly uh undercooked which is beautiful it's exactly oozing out um uh on on a, like a choice of biscuit uh, a garlic aioli and it is it is one of the great breakfast sandwiches uh, of the United States as far as, as, far as Darling side is concerned.
0: Is there a dish for you that is, like, your go-to comfort food when you're really in a bad place?
1: Yeah, there's a lot, like, a lot of the uh, Indian dishes that you're up with bring me back to a very happy place, like sag, chicken, paneer, um, a lot of chickpea dishes, um, Dolls like the lentils, those those are those bring me back. But I'm trying to think. If there's just one thing. Like there's a there's a, a place in Cambridge that is one of the few places I feel good about eating out when we get back from tour before I've had the chance to go shopping. That's like basically grains and vegetables, called Life Alive that I really like. Um, but that is a specific comfort, which is the comfort of sort of like not feeling guilty eating out after tour. But I find myself pretty happy to be eating a variety of things often. But in, in the world, like within the world of Indian food, I can find a lot of stuff that I enjoy uh, occasionally. Like I don't want a burger all the time, but when I want a burger, it is the, one of the greatest comforts. Which burger? Um, There are a bunch of places in Cambridge that do a decent job. Like I want something thick, uh, ideally. Not a decent burger, like the
0: burger oh, you the dream burger about. Dream?
1: Yeah. Um. I had a really good one, at a place called the Kirkland Tap and Trotter, which is run by a, a dude who also runs a place called Craigie on Main in oh. Cambridge. It's a super nice place. But burgers similar to steaks, I feel like, although there are really excellent burgers, once you get above, like, this is a very good burger, I'm quite happy. Like, that is going to scratch yeah. that it's, pre- Just it's pretty nice.
0: hard to mess up a good, like, a decent bacon cheeseburger, even if it's, like, at a barbecue you yeah, know, like someone's backyard.
1: Right, yeah, if it's, like, I, I like it, like, you know, when it's cooked medium rare to rare, and it's, like, you can still see some of that, that myoglobin leaking out, that's that's what I want.
0: There's a uh, also another lyric that I wanted to ask you about. Oh, yes. Uh, that is partially why I was asking about Aliens, the song Singularity mm-hmm. on the new record.
1: Yeah. The shooting
0: star is gonna shoot me down. Burn these high rises back into um, The sky is empty as a frame. Mm-hmm. And I've always been fascinated with uh, the idea that there has to be alien life out there, yet there seems to be no contact or there's no, like, automatic evidence where it's like, okay, this is a thing. Right. Do you think it's going to happen in our lifetime where we're going to be in direct contact?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, the, <laughs> I have a very cursory understanding of of <laughs> some bits of science around... Uh, astronomy and extraterrestrial life, etc. cetera. But are you guys I,
0: very interested in, in, like, space and stuff? Because there seems to be a lot of, like, kind of uh, stuff yeah. related in the new record especially.
1: The um, A couple of the other guys are very into science fiction. Uh, I am moderately into science fiction as well. Uh, I'm also pretty big into science. Uh, I studied biology. Dave and I took an astronomy class in school together. Um, yeah, I think uh, there is like in dystopian sort of existences that that's also it's not hard to be into that these days since it's pretty much half the art that's made in general especially yeah. in tv and movies Um but yeah i would say there's a healthy uh... We, we we've as kids we run a healthy diet of science fiction type stuff and as adults for a lot of us it has continued so um, i don't know how much uh... hard research any of us are reading in terms of primary sources as far as like what astronomers are actually doing right now i i get a little bit through my my new sources but um, it's not a it's not a focal point um, but it feels like our lifetime is such a slim, tiny, like, we are, like, people talk about, we're, we're you know, Earth is a speck in the universe, but our lifetime is even, it's, like, feels like an even smaller sliver. But
0: technology has advanced pretty quick technology? just the 10 years, yeah. you know. Yeah. The, the iPhone didn't exist 10
1: years ago. Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> and now... <laughs> Think about It that. is the only thing that matters. <laughs> yeah, uh... It feels like it sometimes. Yeah, sure, I'll say, yeah, sure. I'm ready for that. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I... <laughs> Uh, with the the caveat that I have no science to back up any of it, and just the sort of gut feelings, I'm ready to say yes.
0: How long has Darling Side been together?
1: Uh, I don't. First off, can you like ask before you ask a personal question like that? I think it's in a little inappropriate. Given like how long has it been physical? <laughs> yeah, uh, we've been together for since 2009. We moved into a house together right after our youngest guys graduated from uh, college.
0: And you guys are typically on the road. What you said, a hundred. Yeah, 20 our, days a year. Or at so. our
1: peak, I think we were playing 120, 130 shows, which was more like ended up being 150 days on the road. Uh, I think we are now closer to like 90 or 100 shows a year. Uh, but like, you know, that as you know, that fluctuates depending on whether it's release year and how much you're trying to bust butt in studio versus on the road. Boston's
0: but, not a cheap place to live.
1: Boston is not. Um we, uh, three of the guys are based in Waltham, which is, uh, a, a more reasonably priced suburb. Uh, and I, um, split rent with my baby brother in Cambridge.
0: More awkwardly, do you guys have to do other things sometimes? No,
1: we've been fortunate enough. I mean, there was a point certainly. Um, but we now are self-sustained, which is awesome. I think, uh, we feel really good about it. Um, the hope, the, the, the big thing now is sort of figuring out how to do the things that we want to do in our lives and still keep this as our primary source of income um, uh, you know three of the guys are married one has a kid we have uh, there are just more things that we would like to do outside of music uh, but the, the the hope is that the if you know we're able to keep music up or, like keep our career going and keep momentum going that uh, we will be able to to uh, have both of those things continue
0: and you know the landscape of the music industry is continually changing evolving, you mm-hmm. know, and you know, you guys I think particular in particular are very um savvy with social media and have pretty good traction on Spotify and the streaming services. Thanks man. Um you know, and I think I'm always interested to And is that a boat? Oh it's a small plane. Going small by. plane.
1: There's a there's a um what's it called? The place where airport, but it's a it's a landing strip. There's a there's a there's a small Air Yard.
0: <laughs> an Air Yard? Yeah, I don't know what it's
1: called. But yeah, it's a tiny little one. Uh, very close. Uh, Airfield? Airfield. Airfield okay. Yeah, Airfield. Um, this is an Air Yard, actually. It's what was I best. asking?
0: Oh, yeah. Do you see music income for bands online as something that is sustainable and will grow? Or is it at the whim of these corporations at this point?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it is. Like like you guys, I think we've grown up in, the, in a world where you don't get paid much for recorded music, um, but there are a lot of other benefits to it, like immediate access. You give people the name of your band, they can find it immediately. There's no there's no barrier to entry, which is really nice. They can look it up on YouTube. They can see what you look like, see what you sound like. Um, so and as far as uh, as far as uh, it being an income stream, I think part of that is dependent on the uh you know being like knowing the right people like like anything like any other business though like I don't think it's limited to the music industry that like contacts and people whom you know or people who who are supporting you being in important places is extremely helpful that's for sure but I also think there's an element of it just being reflective of like once you get past a certain level it's just reflective of broader trends so like I don't think like Prince at one point was like the most streamed person on the internet or his music was the most streamed and I don't think that's because he was in tight with the Spotify people. <laughs> I think yeah, didn't he like not want his stuff on the internet? I don't know, but but he's just Prince and people love Prince. So they're listening to a lot of them. So um, yeah, I think it's it, as far as good or bad, it's hard to, hard to gauge. But in terms of it being an important uh, income stream, I think it's it's like the, the number of streams that exist from artists these days uh, is massive. Potential stream, excuse me, is massive. Uh, and you know, we're, we're a young band. We have like, we see a lot of those streams, but are making only a tiny bit from some of them, from most of them. Um, and the hope is that as the touring and notoriety grows, uh, you'll be able to maximize some of those other ones. And I think it takes a certain amount of business savvy. We are very fortunate to have a team that we trust, uh, to help us with a lot of the, those decisions. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's a, it's, it is a, it is definitely a business and it, it has all of the uh, sort of seamy underbelly slash uh, uh, de- de- undesirable qualities that pretty much every other business has that you know th- th- that's out there. All
0: right, we'll do a couple more questions and then we're done. Sweet. I want you to think of the first thing that comes to your mind okay. when I say the following words: skeleton, Halloween, heartbreak, uh,
1: Kanye. Heartbreak Eight Hundred Eights wasn't that an album he released? Yeah, sweet. Pleasure. Uh, sex.
0: Adoration.
1: Um, my mother. That's that's a weird pair to have one, gone one after another, but here we are.
0: You know, it's Freud would be proud. <laughs> yeah, sweet. Fidelity.
1: Uh, marriage. Bitten. A B. Yeah, uh, because a dude on the uh, on the bus earlier today was talking about how a lot of kids have been bitten, and then he <laughs> clarified that it was by bees. I think bees can bite, but more likely they were stung.
0: They probably have very tiny mouths, though. I don't.
1: I mean, yeah, but so do so do other things that bite. There there are flying things that bite that have tiny mouths. Have
0: you ever been close to death from any crazy <laughs> animal encounter?
1: Not as far as I know.
0: Have you ever been close to death? <laughs> Driving to or fro from a gig.
1: No, not, not to or from a gig.
0: So you pretty much have a very, you know, beautiful existence.
1: Uh, I would say I have a, I've a, I'm a very fortunate person. Uh, I'm curious as to how you it, <laughs> took that from the fact that I haven't had near-death experiences Come with an to be or s- driving <laughs> from a gig. There's
0: got to be something.
1: Oh, no, I mean, I've like there have been things that have been a little hard for me, but I, I think in general I've led a pretty pampered life, I'd say. <laughs> like, <laughs> you haven't been attacked by a cobra? I haven't been attacked by a cobra or monkeys or, or, yeah, any of that stuff.
0: And now we're going to do a brief creative
1: exercise. Cool.
0: Grab your pen and paper.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, this is all prepared. Pen and paper right here. Express yourself, it says
0: on it. Yes, the Holiday Inn. Oh, I have have Comfort Inn pen from a different hotel. Okay. We're going to write the same first line.
1: Okay.
0: Which is, The apple tasted like the day his mother left. Apple tasted like the day his mother left. And we're going to... Write a page together and see how our minds are different. Okay. And here we go. Like one page is never enough.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Your handwriting is is it's very neat and you spaced it out very nicely.
1: Thanks, man. Yours looks pretty sloppy.
0: <laughs> Mine is like like a doctor's handwriting. This one isn't even on a line. <laughs> I refuse to stay within the lines. Sweet. Okay. Uh, what do we do? Do we read them at the same time? Should we do, yeah, that'll be really off on guard. Should we do you know, rock, paper, scissors? Sure. Okay, ready? Mm-hmm-hmm. Okay. Scissors over paper. The apple tasted like the day his mother left. She didn't exactly say goodbye, though she had made hints, like kissing his 12-year-old self, a bit too long in the mornings when he left for the bus, calling after him with tears in her voice. Larry, do good today, okay? He had eaten the mealy apples on the bus home that day, brown and warm, and his father had greeted him with a look of death on his face, the sweetness dying in his mouth still. She's gone, Larry. I'm sorry.
1: I thought mine was dark, but that was a lot more real. Mine just got weird. All right. I also just forgot about the apple after writing that (laughs) (laughs) Fuck the the apple. The apple tasted like the day his mother left. She had always loved roller coasters, but he had never expected her to run off with Jonas, the roller coaster man. He was her first cousin, after all. The family swept it under the rug. His father would spend all day face down on Turkish rugs, usually at the neighbor's, but occasionally in strangers' homes when he was able to find his way in. He, the father eventually moved to Santa Monica and started an Indian restaurant before dying of dysentery.
0: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Never trust the roller coaster, man. Yeah,
1: Jonas. (laughs) Sweet.
0: Well, thank you so much for uh, chatting with me and uh, opening up your brain a little bit. That was really fun. And uh, I'm sure we'll keep running into each other all over the place. That sounds great. And, uh, you know, if you haven't listened to this record, people, Extra Life... It's all over the interwebs. You could oh, bring, you could bring it home pretty much
1: for free. Yeah, <laughs>
0: you could go into a trance right in your living room, listen to
1: it. Thanks, Zach. All right.
0: Big thanks to Mr. Mokarji for meeting up with me. And you can go to darlingside.com for their tour dates and their music. Their newest record is called Extra Life, and it sounds magical. Please put it on. Have a meditation. You're gonna love it. The Show on the Road is hosted by me, Zach Lupitan, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love The Show on the Road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash showontheroad. Tell your friends, and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on thebluegrasssituation.com. The Show on the Road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lupitan. See you on the trail.